We've got to give people a reason to get out of bed on a Sunday morning to come here. That's right. A reason to come, a reason not to miss, and a reason to bring a friend. One of the things that I'm proud of is that when you, when you pull up, it looks different. It's a powerful way of saying this is different. It looks different, therefore it is different. Right. So, parking ministry. Oh, that's the parking ministry. Yeah. That tells you right away, you know, we're extending our hospitality and care to you right out to the parking lot. And, and when it comes to that stuff, this look, we get two different reactions. That's right. The people that haven't become their church who are kind of shut down, turned off on religion, are intrigued by it. And that's a good thing. That's kind of more our target audience. Other people think, ah, oh, you know, what's this? This is weird. This I can't is weird, so it's wrong. Right. Weird equals wrong. But for the unchurched, for the person who's disenfranchised, different is good. We're in the sixth and final week of a message series taking a look at who we are. A few years ago, here at Nativity, we struck out on a different path because we believed that what we were doing wasn't working. So we set out to develop a deliberately different culture and way of doing church as a result, not immediately and certainly not easily, but eventually and with effort, we saw God's blessing in terms of health and growth. We decided to do this series at this time because we're meeting so many new individuals and families joining us here on Ridgely Road and online who started attending Nativity online during COVID. We think this series will be a helpful introduction for them. At the same time, we hope this will be a welcome refresher for parishioners who have been around for a while, bringing perhaps some new insights as well on why we do what we do. In the course of the series, we've looked at a number of topics. We looked at our emphasis on Scripture because to know God's Word is to know God. We talked about how we strive to keep things simple in terms of vision and mission and strategy. We looked at our reaching out to the lost, our focus on reaching out to the lost, which is what Jesus called people disconnected from God and his family of faith. We looked at living in the victory of the resurrection, a victory won for us in Christ. Last week, we looked at that challenge of moving parishioners from consumers to contributors. And while there are several ways that you can contribute, as we discussed last week, today we want to focus on your financial contribution. This is Stewardship Weekend, the one weekend of the year when we invite your financial commitment to our parish in the coming year. Following this message, we'll give you time to fill out your commitment card, indicating your plan for giving to Nativity in 2023. Later, the cards will be collected and placed here on the altar as a sign of our commitment and sacrifice. As we wrap up this series, we're going to look briefly at just two more reasons why we're weird. 
And one of the most striking, striking ways in which we're weird is this. We love Swordship Weekend. It's true. We do. Churches are always accused of talking too much about money, and it's probably true. But the irony is that most every priest and pastor that I talk to absolutely hates talking about money. We don't. We love it. We love it because the ability to give is actually a gift from God, and we want you to know that gift. We love it because when we give as an act of worship in our place of worship, our worship is strengthened, and we want you to be strengthened. We love it because when we give as an act of worship, our hearts grow to be more like our Heavenly Father's, and we want you to grow that way. Then there's a second reason we're weird. We're weird because we're all about Jesus. We want everyone to have a personal, growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, the church, of course, is supposed to be about Jesus, but so often the focus on Jesus gets lost. And I get it. You talk about church or faith or religion or God, people are, un are, are comfortable. But you talk about Jesus, and people can get uncomfortable. Comedian Jim Gaffigan asked this question, is there anything that makes you more uncomfortable than a complete stranger coming up and saying to you, can I talk to you about Jesus? He notes, I don't even like talking about Jesus in church. And get that too, because Jesus stands out in human history as such a unique individual. He stands out because he is Christ the King, which the feast we celebrate today. Jesus is Christ the King, but his Kingship is different than any kind of earthly kingship. We find three key unique insights into his kingship in the passage we read today from the Gospel of Luke. The scene is the crucifixion. Jesus is coming near to the end of his passion. And we're told, the rulers sneered at Jesus and said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's the chosen, the Christ of God. The religious leaders see Jesus hanging helplessly on the cross, and they say he saved others. He, he gave hearing to the deaf, and he helped the blind see, and he raised people from the dead, but now he looks completely and totally helpless. Then the soldiers pile on. We're told even the soldiers sneered at him as they approached him with, to offer him wine. They called out, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now, the irony is this, that if Jesus comes down off the cross, he cannot save the religious leaders. He cannot save the soldiers. That it's his commitment to hang on the cross that saves the soldiers and religious leaders from their sins, that saves me from my sins and you from your sins. Jesus is a king who sacrifices himself for his subjects. We're told, above him there was an inscription that read, this is the king of the Jews. Now the Romans had hung that designation above Jesus on the cross to designate his crimes against the empire. But an, an ironic statement here, because over and over again in Jesus' ministry, the Jewish people had tried to make him king, but each and every time he rejected and he ran away from that title. But now, here on the cross, 
In his ultimate act of service, Jesus allows that title to be given him, King of the Jews. The the, the cross is Jesus' ultimate act of service. As the reading from Colossians we read earlier today, today says, that is through the cross that he transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to God's kingdom. That through the cross, we change teams from being on a losing team to a a championship team. Jesus is a king who serves his subjects. Now, one of the criminals hanging there reviled Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. The other, however, rebuking him, said in reply, Have you no fear of God, for you are the subject of the same condemnation? And indeed, we have been condemned justly, for the sentence we received corresponds to our crimes. But this man has done nothing criminal. Once again in the Gospel of Luke, we see this compare and contrast of two characters. There is the older brother and the younger brother in the parable of the prodigal son. There's the Pharisee and the tax collector, the rich man and Lazarus. And now here are two criminals in the exact same situation but two very different responses. The one rejects and reviles Jesus. The other accepts him, accepts him in his work on the cross. And it's a reminder to us of the very simple choice each one of us has when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ. We can reject him, reject his work, or we can accept him. The good thief, as he's called, accepts Jesus' work on the cross. And then he says this, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Another simple and beautiful prayer in the gospel of Luke. The good thief, knowing all his flaws and all his failures and all his many sins, which are great, expresses a trust and belief that Jesus' work on the cross, that his grace, his mercy, are much more powerful than anything and everything that he has done wrong. And then Jesus answers him. Jesus answers the good thief, even though every word he spoke from the cross cost him excruciating pain as he had to pull himself up on nail-pierced hands simply to take a breath. And Jesus says to him, Amen, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus opens up the gates of heaven to the good thief because he expresses faith and trust in him. Jesus is a king who opens up heaven to his subjects. Well, I know it's a little naive, I really cannot understand why anyone would not want to make Jesus their king and follow him. He sacrifices his life for our life. He serves us. He opens up heaven and unending eternal joy for us. And as the song we've been singing after communion, the post-communion song says, we get what he paid for. And I know some people reject Jesus outright, but I can't help but believe that most people, most people walk away from Christianity in the church because they don't understand the true offer, the true promises of Christ and following him as king. And it's our job 
our role, our privilege as a church to wipe away those misunderstandings and misconceptions and bring people to the truth. That's the mission Jesus gave us. So we invite your investment in this kingdom work. We invite your investment as we go wider so that more and more people will come to experience the goodness of their king and come to recognize his love active and present here in our community. We invite your investment as we go deeper so, so that more and more people will learn to live more and more of their lives in a loving relationship with the living Lord. We invite your investment because we firmly believe that giving to this local parish church is one of the very best investments you can make, making possible more stories like these stories. I didn't really believe in God when I walked through these doors, but I had an open mind. I had started talking to some people about what I was going through, and the ones that really seemed to have my best interest and were most willing to help were, were people of faith. So I, I was, I had a little bit of a of a spark somewhere in me when I when I walked through these doors. I, I was open to it. After I'd been at Nativity about a year. A friend encouraged me to join a small group. Um, I was I was reluctant at first. I'm, I'm an introvert, and sort of just getting lost in the crowd. I didn't really mind, but I was I was very glad that I did. My first small group was was quite small. It was usually three to five of us, and it, it pushed me to share, pushed me out of my comfort zone, and I, I really started to feel a lot better after that. Just in general, just felt more more confident. In, in my faith and more confident in, in all areas of my life, really. One of the greatest gifts from this whole experience has been the, the gift of gratitude, and I can approach each day with gratitude. Just in the morning during my prayer time, most of that is gratitude. I have so many things to be thankful for, and I need regular reminders to keep up this practice. and meeting with the guys each week, I'm always getting great reinforcement to be the best version of myself. Sometimes after church, I'll be like, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm fired up after the music and just after the whole process and, you know, I'm there with my kids like, come on, you know, just really, you know, just so excited and they're just like, dad, it's funny, the same thing happens sometimes after small group. We have a really good session and I'll just be moving around the house and it's just funny, I get energy. People that, people that know me can't imagine me um, wound up. I'm a very even keel person, but you feel it. It just lights up the rest of your day and it's just, you know, my kids see it. It's, it's incredible. A 
couple years ago, uh, my life was super busy. I was working a bunch of jobs. I was a dance teacher. I was a swimmer and I was a TA for a school. And so I was kind of up and ready to go and out the door before eight o'clock in the morning and not home until most days after 10.30 at night. And so back in 2020, when everything came to a halt and life not only just slowed down, but stopped, I really struggled, you know, with going from being busy to just having nothing and having to sit with myself and in my thoughts. And I really struggled in the moments of silence, in the moments of learning my own heart. And that was something that I didn't realize was gonna be so hard. A family friend reached out to me um, and knew my struggles and recommended that I become a part of Nativity small groups, but specifically small group university. And as somebody who was struggling, I didn't really know if that's what I wanted, but my thought was I'll try it out. And if I don't like it, I don't know anybody and I could just, you know, leave. Well, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It was just phenomenal. And boy, did I not know how much I would not only grow in faith, but grow in community with some amazing people. It wasn't long until Emily Issing asked me to be a small group university leader, which was intimidating at first, but very quickly became something that I was passionate about and I just wanted to give my time to. And I felt like in a deeper sense, I was able to serve the community that I was growing to love. Here I think I'm serving this amazing ministry and community as a leader of SGU. And little did I know that they were actually serving me. And I was being served, my heart was being served, and was being transformed in a way that I wasn't even seeing in those moments yet. I went from, you know, struggling in those hard moments and struggling in those quiet moments to now, I feel like I love the quiet moments now and I seek them out and I look for them now because I recognize the quiet moments, you don't only get to learn yourself, but you get to grow in deeper connection with God. And Small Group University has helped me realize that and understand that and love those parts and love the quiet. So looking back, I think that God was preparing me. He was preparing me for a storm in my life that was coming. A few years ago, my marriage ended in divorce. I went through a very difficult time, um, major financial instability. We almost lost our house. We almost declared bankruptcy. I know that God knew that I needed faith and my relationship with Jesus to get me through that time. Father White, in his Dangerous Prayer message series, told us to pray about everything, as crazy as it could be. So during that series, I got up every morning and got on my knees in my bedroom and I prayed about my finances and I prayed hard, I prayed a lot, <laughs> over and over and over again, and that's when things finally resolved. And one of my small group members in one of my darkest times said to me, what you need to do is turn yourself outward and uh, stop focusing so much on the bad in your life and start focusing on the good that you can do for other people. I started leading an, an uprising small group of ninth grade girls, and I've gotten so much out of it. I get more out of it than I put into it. Just watching the younger generation grow in their faith is amazing. And, and being a part of that and being a, a safe place for them to ask their questions and, and be there for them during a difficult time in their development is amazing. I feel like I live my faith every day and I didn't before. And now my goal is, now that the storm in my life has somewhat passed, my goal is to try to help other people find the same strength and, and faith that I found that was helpful because Nativity saved my life. I don't, I don't know how I would have done it without being here.
we lacked clarity and direction. And as a result of a lack of clarity and direction, people were becoming less and less engaged. You know, and our leadership wasn't having the meetings that they needed to have. Our, our staff was doing a majority and bulk of the, of the work. And we were, we were just tired. You know, we needed help from, from Rebuilt. We started working with uh, Nativity and Rebuilt back in February of this year. And uh, since then, we're, we're learning, um, but not just learning, we're putting things into practice, which is a, a really significant shift and pivot for us. Uh, we've been doing um, sermon series, and the sermon series have been highly effective for us to, to help build community and connection in some of the, the life group or small group initiatives that we're doing. In addition, we've developed a, a mission statement back in April to live and love like Jesus and to lead others to do the same. And we, we speak that every single service, every mass we have, we, we share the vision with the people so they can hear it and it can become internalized. We're continuing to, to drill down and lean in, bring as much clarity and focus as we can. And um, all that for the, you know, towards the end of becoming the healthiest version of ourselves that we can and see where God takes us in this, in this journey. There is this part of the of the process of with rebuild and remissioning where we are we're growing and developing and working out this thing. And it's much more about the progress than it is about the perfection. And I think our Lord looks at us the same way that says, Hey son, hey daughter. You know, it's not about perfection. It's about my grace that's sufficient for you. It's about my power that becomes perfect, perfected in your weakness. And so if, if and when I or those around me can say we are weak, he is strong, then he's gonna come crashing into us with his grace and his mercy and his guidance and wisdom and everything we need.